listening to the Arise Church podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. Tell signs that you are alive is development and maturity. It's just a practical part of being alive. It's part of life. It's natural, right? When we think about a life and when we think about what it means to be alive uh, from the time that we are born or from the time that a baby is born, We're always looking for signs of life, signs of growth, signs of development, maturity, whether we're measuring physical or mental or other evidences of development. That's what we look for to see whether or not there's health and there's something really going on there, true or not true. It's true or not true. All right, I knew I wasn't here by myself. When a child's born, there's all this jubilation and excitement because a baby has been born. I, saw, I heard that it went up on Instagram, so I can say Barry and Whitney had their baby last night, right? And there's all this excitement, and we're really happy about that. We celebrate that. But the question that I would ask you today is, does it stop right there? Is that enough? Is that the place where we'd say, like, oh, mission accomplished. No more need for care or, or any of that. The baby's here. Not at all. Not at all. Parents are not satisfied just to deliver a child as though that's all that there is to new life. Instead, we look for a child to start opening their eyes. And then a week later, we're looking for them to maybe focus, right? We wait for things like uh, them to start grabbing onto a finger and showcasing motor skills. We even look for a first bowel movement. I know some of y'all parents wish it would have stopped right there, right? (laughs) I've been changing diapers since 2005, y'all, okay? Just just keeping it real. Um, By two weeks or so, right, we look for the uh, the, uh, the umbilical cord to fall off and on and on and on. A month or so in, we're, we're looking for them to be responding with emotions and responding to our voice and things like that. There's these signs of life that show us that they're growing. It's no different spiritually. Spiritual life is no different. When Jesus spoke the words, you must be born again, he was referring to that same analogy and process And I think that sometimes when we don't use that biblical terminology, but instead we speak of our faith in terms of saved or converted or even transformed, we use things that, yes, they're biblical words, but I think we lose, we lose the emphasis and we can um, not intentionally produce Christians, disciples, who believe that all that really matters is that they made a decision one time. That they were born. That at one day they got saved, past tense, and that's it. But that's not it. That's not it. 
In reality, our new life of faith, hope, and love, which is what we talked about last week, is meant to grow. Faith, hope, and love are evidences, like we talked about last week, of authentic Christianity. You are authentically born again when those things characterize who you are, but you're meant to grow in that. You know how that happens? Nourishment. It happens by nourishment. Just like that baby who's born doesn't come into the world and it's all over. No, quickly, they've got to figure it out and figure it out fast. That if you're going to survive here, you've got to latch on and you've got to eat <laughs> and you've got to do that well. True or not true? We don't always remember this. But I think Paul is continuing here in his prayer for the Colossians and their new life by reminding of them of that fact and bringing to bear on their minds that it is our responsibility to latch on and eat. That spiritual growth depends on our growing appetite for the word and for the will of God. I'm drawing that straight out of our text for today. We're in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. I want you to join me in reading these verses, and then we'll walk through them slowly. Verse 9 says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the uh, kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In our text today, we're going to see Paul praying for the Colossians' maturity in Christ. From it, we learn how to pray for one another's growth, what spiritual growth is, and why spiritual growth is important. The title of our sermon very simply is Walk It Out, Knowing and Doing. In the second half of Paul's prayer, here's what we learn. We learn what it means to know God and to act on our knowledge. It's right in the center. It talks about walking worthy. And so we're going to look at the prayer in three sections, the request for the Colossians is growth, the result of growth, and then the reason for our growing. Put simply, we're going to look at the request for growth. We're going to look at the result of growth and the reason for growing. Take the first point, the request for spiritual growth. And so from this day, or from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. You know, Paul has moved here from thanksgiving down to an actual prayer. In the first few verses, verses 3 down to 8, what he says is, we've been praying for you that you would be reminded of these things. And here's the thing. I am so grateful for your faith, your love that is growing out of the hope of heaven that you have. He says, I give God thanks for you. But now he moves and he actually says, we've not ceased to pray for you that you would know, that you would know. And he prays for their maturity. 
here's what I want you to know. I've been talking about the context a little bit for the last few weeks, but until now, I've actually just uh, not brought up much about the specific false teaching that had crept into Colossae. Here's what it was. It was Gnosticism that was unsettling the church. Now today, some of us may not even know what a Gnostic is or what Gnosticism is, but we do know and we are familiar with these, these words that grow out of the word that it, uh, was, uh, was being used at the time, which is gnosis, right? So if I talk about hypnosis or hypnotize and things like that, you kind of know that it has to do with some knowledge and some control, things like that. Well, for the Gnostics, what they were teaching is that there was a superior knowledge, a deeper understanding, a better way than just Christ. So for the Colossians who had been born again and who had a new life and who were genuinely new creations in Christ, uh, they had been being challenged to say, you know what, there's a lot more than just what you're believing by that guy Paul who's writing uh, from jail. There are deeper things. Got to go a little bit deeper you know, Christianity and, and, and believing in Jesus Christ and his resurrection, that's just at the surface. That doesn't really get down to it. There's a special and a new revelation that you've got to have. This is what the Gnostics were saying to the Colossians. Paul's prayer was a direct contrast. He's using a word here for knowledge uh, that actually supersedes Gnosis. The word is epignosis. So he's saying, to a greater degree, I want you to have true knowledge, and I have not ceased to pray for you that you will have a true knowledge. And epignosis is this knowledge that's based on the fact that you know because of contact. You can acknowledge someone based on your relationship with them. You truly know them. He's saying, I'm praying that you would be filled to the full and that it would bring to completion your faith because of that. Because you're in a relationship with God and you can actually know him deeply. You don't have to know something deeper. You just need to know more of him. Paul is intentionally cutting down this false teaching, and he's saying you have true knowledge based on contact. You have knowledge that is gained through first-hand relationship. Think back to the analogy of that baby who's growing. When the baby begins to focus on their parents, how about when the baby begins to recognize the voice of their parents? It don't matter how many people are around. If mama start talking, one or two month old baby be wiggling around trying to figure out where's mom. It comes to a time when the child grows up into a few months or maybe crawling and walking, becomes a toddler. And that child, no matter who else is in the room, is looking for mom and dad because you know what? I truly know him or her. That's what Paul was praying for the Colossians. Knowing that they have this personal relationship with God, he's praying for a deeper, true knowledge based on their connection with God through Jesus Christ. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge, knowledge of his will. More importantly than just knowledge, he prayed that they would be filled with a true knowledge of God's will. What is God's will then? In some ways, you should view it just like a coin. It's got two sides. There's a heads and a tails to it. 
God's will, we talked about this in the beginning stages of replanting the church. We talked about restoration and redemption. And in a short way, just a shorthand, God's will is to bless mankind through Jesus Christ. But on the flip side of that coin, God's will, and this is what Paul is praying for them, is that we, humanity, would please him in all respects because of our new relationship with Christ. So Paul's saying that, Here's what I'm praying for you from the first day until now. I have not ceased to pray. Not that you would come to a deeper knowledge because these people are unsettling you and trying to make it seem like you've got to really get down into some deeper special revelation that comes to them naturally because they're supernatural or, I mean, because they are uh, superior to you. He says, no, I'm praying that you would have this supernatural insight because you have a supernatural new relationship with God and he will show you how to please him in all respects. He's asking for the Colossians to be filled with the knowledge that fleshes itself out in spiritual wisdom and understanding. Do you see it there? That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. These things oftentimes go together in the New Testament and also in the Old Testament. In fact, when we were going through our Advent series, there was a time when we came to talking about the root of Jesse in Isaiah chapter 11. And not to bore you, especially if you weren't here, but at the end of the day, it prophesied, the Old Testament prophesied about the Messiah that you would know that he was the one because he would actually have profound spiritual wisdom and understanding. He would have insight and true knowledge to understand what should be done, how to skillfully do it, and then an understanding of when it should be applied, how justice should go, how things should be ruled and run in the world. And when you come to the New Testament, Paul's praying that on our behalf. He does this all the time in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. He opens up with a prayer and to the Philippians, and he says, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. It's the same word for understanding. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul's long, uh, or, or his longing for the people of God is not that you would come to a place where you'd be able to get all mystical and fancy with a whole bunch of words and philosophies and uh, old wives' tales and, and, and mysteries and all those things. No, it's just that you would know God's will that he intends to bless all people across all of the earth through Jesus Christ and that in responding to him by faith, we would actually please him in all respects. That we, he, we would know what he requires and that we would do it. Pleasing God. A child grows up. They're not just a baby anymore. They're my seven-year-old daughter who comes to me and says, Daddy, which ones do you like? And there are five or six colorings on the refrigerator. It's Anna and Elsa and Olaf and a whole bunch of Frozen and it's all over. And she's pointing out, I did that one and that's, that's your other daughters. <laughs> but I did this one, right? Do you like that one? <laughs> and all those magnets there, those are all my magnets. I saved that one from the dentist. I got this one from here. That, the desire of a growing child 
is to please their father. And so Paul says, I'm praying that you would have the fullness, on a, be full to capacity with the desire to know God's will and then to please him, which takes us to our second point, the results of growth or growing. His request is very simple. It could actually stop there. I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That is what Paul prays for the Colossians and what God desires for you and me. Here's what it results in. Verse number 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. He goes on and says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. What the knowledge of God's will leads to is a walk that's worthy of the Lord. He's not saying, I'm praying that you would get all puffed up like those Gnostics, the ones who are trying to come in and tell you, you just need to know a whole lot of more stuff. No, he's saying, I want you to know God deeper, know what he requires so that you will walk worthy of that. He wants them to know and to do. Knowing and doing is the crux of the matter. The result of all biblical knowledge should be godly conduct. When you get to know something, if you don't live it out, how much of it do you really know? Let me put it in the same terminology that matches with the imagery Paul uses. If you know how to get somewhere, but you don't go there, how much does it matter? If you know that at the end of a place is this goodness for you and all kinds of blessing that's down there, that God's will is to bless humanity through Christ, and you know that, and you know what he requires of you because all he wants is that you would please him because you are his child, but you don't walk that out, how good is it? That imagery is captured when he says walk worthy. He doesn't say, I want you to think well. <laughs> Walk worthy. The, the idea in the New Testament when they use the, uh, the word walk was just about live. It's, it's to live something. That's why I say walk it out. It's to live it out. You have it here. You understand it. It's transformed your heart. Now you have a responsibility to know after last week's sermon or after reading the verses that precede this, I am genuinely born again and I have new faith and nobody can take that away from me because it's been given to me by grace. It is all of faith. You can see it in the fact that I'm loved by God. I love God and I love my brothers and sisters. And at the end of the day, I'm looking to heaven. But guess what? We got to live that out we got to walk worthy of that understanding. Paul spells out four ways that we can walk worthy and thereby, as he says, please the Lord. He says we please the Lord when we bear fruit in every good work. Fruit's what God accomplishes through us as we depend on him. If you think about John chapter 15 and verse 5, John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and I in you, and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
the leaders sat in the backyard of Jeff and Cassie this morning, and we got to a spot where we started talking about trellises and vines. And I looked up and I said, hey, was that intentional? And Jeff said, yes, I, actually, Cassie took that and braided it up and she started it around here. And if you look in the back, there's another trellis. That vine was intentionally put there and you can just see how things are growing. And one thing that always strikes me about looking at a, a vine and its branches is that you know very clearly that the power, the nutrients, and all the growth is coming from that thick, big stump, the vine itself, and all those branches, they get all the credit. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Branches don't work really hard and toil to keep themselves attached to the, uh, attached to the vine. They don't spin out into a whole bunch of effort to try and make something come of themselves. No, they remain attached and thereby they bear fruit. He says here that we are to bear fruit in every good work. When he says that we should increase in the knowledge, or I'm sorry, when he says that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will, that we'd be fully pleasing to him, the first thing he says is bearing fruit in every good work. Good works are the outworking of a life that is in Christ. Good works are not the way that you get in him. You know, Philippians also says uh, that you should work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Speaking of awe, the fear, the idea is this reverential worship of God. It says that you should work it out. And I always go back to what I learned from Charles Spurgeon. He said, you cannot work it in, but you've got to work it out. The idea of doing good works just comes along with knowing God. If you know something to be true and you don't live it out, if you know how to get to a place but you don't go, how good is it for you? For the Hebrew mind, for the New Testament Christian, for hopefully even for us after this, but definitely for them. Knowledge and conduct were always like tied together. They were inseparable. You can't know something or claim that you know something and not do it. One of the troubles that we have, I think, in the, the modern Western church today is that we always want to talk about what's orthodox and what's sound and what's solid. The truth is, we should never be thinking about orthodoxy if we don't see orthopraxy right behind it. It's not just about what we believe and what we know. It's about what we do, right? Knowledge and conduct, knowing and doing. He says bearing fruit in every good work, which includes the way you treat one another, the way in which you carry out even a life of devotion to Jesus Christ, the things that you do, the things that you don't do, all those things are going to be because you know God deeply and his will, not because you know something else. It's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus. You know God, you know Christ, and you know what God wants, you know what he desires, and so then he calls us to walk it out. When Christ's life is in you, it'll be flowing through you as well. If Jesus is at work in you, he'll be working on you and he'll be working through you in good works. He also says that we please the Lord when we increase in the knowledge of God. So on one hand, he wants us to know deeply, the, uh, know God's will 
But he also just says, literally, I want you to know God. And I want you to know God using that same word that has to do with a complete knowledge of contact based on relationship. I want you to be able to acknowledge him and recognize him and his voice and who he is. And let me ask you guys this as I give you a hint. How do we do that? (laughs) We go to God's word and we can deepen our knowledge of him. Increase in the knowledge of God. Grow to know God better. Or you could even say it in a different way. Grow by knowing God better. When you know God better, that means that you're going to know what his desires are. You're going to know what he loves. You're going to know what he hates. You're going to know what he wants. You're going to know what he does not want. You're going to know what he asks of his children, what he gives to his children, what the blessings and the rewards are that await his children. It's going to be a hope that you look forward with, and it'll cause you to grow into spiritual maturity. This is one of those things that I think we need to get a good hold of. We've taken two weeks to talk about it. Paul took two sentences. Last week, those five verses is one sentence. This week, these five verses are one sentence. He's saying, hey, you're authentically Christian. I want you to walk it out authentically. You really genuinely are born again. Don't let, the, uh, don't let the Gnostics try and tell you that you don't know anything because you don't know what they know, some special revelation outside the Bible. No, but at the same time, I want you to prove that you genuinely are God's people by the way that you walk worthy of the Lord. Your conduct, your life, it matches with what you profess. Walk the talk. And you'll do that by increasing in the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is inseparable for the knowledge, uh, from the knowledge of his will. I think that's why they're named right behind one another. And with obedience to God's will, we will walk worthy, we will please him, we'll bear fruit, etc., etc. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn real quickly to John chapter 14 and verses 21. I think we want to hear Jesus on this and not me. Because these can be considered to be strong words. John chapter 14 and verse 21. Listen to Jesus Christ. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. You know what that means in layman's terms? Terms, if you want to know God better, obey him. One of the ways that we could obey him is by going to his word, reading of it, and walking it out. He only reveals himself to those who obey him, he says. If you keep my commandments, I'll love you and disclose myself to you. That's a promise. It's not a suggestion. That's not a maybe. That's Jesus Christ literally saying that if we want to know him and be known by him, we'll walk worthy. Here's a third thing. We please the Lord when we're strengthened with his power to be steadfast and patient. What does it say back in Colossians chapter 1? It says that you would be strengthened with all power 
according to his glorious might for all endurance, patience. Strengthened. It's used in the present tense. It just means that you consistently are empowered like that energizer bunny that just seemingly don't stop. It's just beating the drum, beating the drum, beating the drum. The commercial is meant to tell you that these batteries last and that their power keeps, keeps going. Now, we know the batteries run out. But God's power doesn't run out. And he says, I'm praying that you would be strengthened in a continual manner consistently for the purpose of pleasing the Lord. You have a need for a continual infusion of God's power, and according to his glorious might lets you know that you do have it at your disposal. You don't need some deeper revelation. You don't need something that God is going to offer you that's outside of uh, your relationship with God. All you need is the strength that comes by knowing God and being known by him. And Paul's prayer for them is that they would please God by being strengthened with God's power, that they would be able to endure and able to be patient. Endurance and patience. Sometimes they sound the same, but an easy way to understand why they would sit next to each other is that one has to do with difficult circumstances. Endurance. That you'd be able to see a trial, endure a test, walk through something that's hard in life circumstances and be able to keep going. And then there's patience. Patience is about difficult people. (laughs) That not just would you be able to walk through a difficult circumstance, but you can walk through life with a difficult person or with difficult people. He says, I want you to please the Lord by knowing God's will, right? Being filled with the knowledge of his will so that you will walk worthy and your walking worthy will mean that you can endure hard circumstances and you can long suffer with hard people. Isn't that another one of the expressions of growth? I've always recognized that in weight training and strength and conditioning and those things, it's the resistance you feel that builds the muscle, right? In the same way, we walk through this life, our faith muscle is tested by difficult circumstances and sometimes in difficult relationships. But because we understand the gospel, Paul literally says that we don't have to look for something outside of Christ. We have everything that we need to be able to progress in the process, (laughs) no matter what's going on or no matter who might be against us. He's saying that we please the Lord when we're strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Let me ask you, just like I asked myself this week, do you experience this mighty power of God in your life? God's glorious might, giving you the ability to endure hard situations and put up with hard people. Do you Experience this mighty power and strengthening in your life. Before you answer, I want you to keep reading. Otherwise, you might think, well, if I was experiencing that mighty power, I might be able to raise the dead, or I might be able to do this kind of miracle, or I'd be able to defeat this specific like sin pattern in my life once and for all. I could put a silver bullet to it. I'd be able to do all these great and amazing things. Before you think that way, 
I want you to realize that's not what Paul says. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father. Huh? What? You don't need endurance and patience if God is miraculously delivering you from every situation and every hard person in your life. You don't need that until you have to do what? Stick it out. Until you're in a lifelong process with God and you're going from here to there because that is where your hope lies and it's given to you by promise. And so when things start to get shaky and people start to come up against you and they start telling you what you believe is not true or you don't know enough, etc., etc., you can endure that. You can be steadfast and immovable, knowing that your work and your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And you can put up with hard people and be in a hard marriage. Your kids can frustrate you. The people in our church, the people sitting next to you, you can be patient with one another. Because you're walking through it with joy. Delightfully is what that word means. Joyously. And in so doing, you're giving thanks to the Father. That's really the motivation or keeping with our point. Number three, that is the reason. The reason why we are able to grow and the reason why we even look to spiritual maturity and growth being something that's important for us is because the Father has qualified us. Is that not what it says? Look at verses number 13 and 14. Actually, beginning in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I can endure hard circumstances. I can be like Paul who said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me which if you know that verse but you don't know the context, you need to understand that what he's saying is, I can have a lot, I can be really rich, or I can have nothing, I can have lack. I've learned that I can do everything in Christ because he strengthens me. Paul's attitude was always that if we give thanks to the Father because of the gospel, God has qualified us, justified you, calls you all the things from verses 3 down to 8. You really genuinely are authentically Christian, even though you have all kinds of addictions and enslavements, and you yourself can't seem to find the place to forgive yourself. God has given you qualification to stand before him just. And then he's delivered you. He's delivered you, which means he's taken you out of one place, put you in another place. He took you out of darkness and put you into light, transferred you. This is used of a royal person who is the one who is the king and rules over everything. And he picks up every single inhabitant of the kingdom and takes them to another place and occupies a new land. He's delivered you and he's transferred you. So everything you go through, what, what do you do? You do it with a good attitude, joyously, delightfully, and you give thanks to the Father. You have an attitude of gratitude. That's what it means to grow into being a spiritually mature individual. 
When all hell breaks loose, what are you going to do? Thank God for Jesus Christ and the hope we have of heaven. That's the crux of the message. Paul prayed a prayer of thanksgiving for the Colossians that they would be grateful for the fact that they genuinely are believers. And then he prayed, he said, but you know what I'm asking for you? It's all good to say, I want to bless this person and be with that person. And God, give them a new house and a new car. No, he didn't say that. What he said is, I want to see you mature in Christ. If I could let you in on anything, when your elders meet on Monday nights and we're talking and we're strategizing, we're talking about all kinds of stuff, we come to a point just about every time where it's just, our burden is to see our people mature. There's all kinds of stuff. We're going through all kinds of things. We're confessing sin to one another. We all know that we are in, we're, we're people in process, right? We're travailing. We're on a path, but as we're walking it out, our prayer is, you know what? I want to see our people walk worthy of the gospel. There's a gospel of grace. There's good news of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ that is quite simply forgiven you and is captured here in two verses that says he qualified you, <laughs> he delivered you, and he transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. And in his beloved son, you've been given redemption, which is the forgiveness of sins. Let that be the reason then that you read your Bibles. Let that then be the reason why you work on your foul language. Let that then be the reason why you don't want to just go out and be a drunkard or to sleep around and be or immoral. Or like my wife so graciously reminded me this week, like, hey, if you know and do, this is the reason why you don't cheat on your taxes next week. Knowing and doing, believing and living it out, it, it all comes down, right? Your conduct comes out of what you believe, and I think those things feed each other. You're not going to act right if you don't know anything, so get into the Word. And if you get into the Word, you're going to act right. And so, so what do we do? We, we walk worthy, right? We, we walk it out. We live it out. When you think about this analogy and you bring yourself to a, a place To ask some practical questions, I think I just have been really burdened this week that we would, we would know, like, how we should be praying for one another. If, if I text you and ask you to pray because one of my children has fallen sick, I want you to pray that, they're, that they would be healed. But at the same time, like, while you're there, just if I can get 30 more seconds, would you pray for me that I'd be filled with the knowledge of his will? And that I'd be pleasing to him in all respects. And that I would walk worthy of the gospel that we believe. That is our prayer for you. That's my prayer for you. That is how I came in here, praying for us. And it should be our collective desire. 